0: we have been hearing a lot this morning about missionary topics, especially Mark Lewis. We do have Mark and Denise Lewis with us. I invite Mark. You can come on up. Mark's going to be sharing with us this morning. Uh, Mark is, is a missionary, essentially, with uh, the Evangelical Free Church's Crisis Response Ministry. Mark has been uh, leading EFCA's Crisis Response Ministry for the last 16 years, And Friedens has been partnering with Mark and Denise in that ministry for the last 15 years. So we've been with Mark almost from the beginning. And I wanted to share a little bit about our appreciation for Mark and Denise. Um, We have a missions team here at the church that works with our missionaries. Our missions team is responsible for connecting with our missionaries, making sure they're well supported and prayed for. Our missions team is is responsible for overseeing our missions budget, which is a significant amount of money because 12% of all of our income is dedicated to missions work. And so our missions team works hard to make sure we're faithful stewards of our missions finances, make sure our missionaries are well supported by the church family And one of the things that our missions team does is they want to make sure we're doing this well. And sometimes our missions team has questions or needs input from seasoned, experienced missionaries just to figure out how best to handle certain topics. And Mark is one of the missionaries that our missions team goes to a lot to ask questions, just to say, okay, you've been in missions work a long time, what are best perspectives to have on this topic? Or, or what would you suggest in this area? Or something like that. So our missions team deeply values Mark not only uh, for the ministry that he does globally, but also uh, for his support of us as the church, for us uh, in our missions efforts. So we're thankful for you, Mark. Thank you to you and Denise for being up here. We know that uh, you all having uh, you live in New Orleans. Uh, so with Hurricane Ida consuming the news over the last a week or so. Um, I was a little bit surprised that you were able to be up here, but thankful as well that we're able to hear from you today. So thank you for being here. I'm going to turn it over to Mark now, and Mark's going to share with us um, some about his ministry and other things that God's laid on his heart. So thank you, Mark. Thanks, Brandon.
1: Well, good morning. We are blessed to be here with you today. Uh, Denise and I are very thankful for our partnership with Freedon's Church in the mission field that follows crisis. Over 16 years ago, the dramatic and devastating events that surrounded Hurricane Katrina uh, launched our, minist- our family into ministry. We moved to southern Louisiana shortly after Katrina hit, and God led us to start this ministry called Reach Global Crisis Response. In short, the ministry is one of disciple-making and church-planting. In the wake of crisis and that's why we stay involved in long-term outreach uh, years after events have faded from the news or even most people's memories. Crisis is any event that disrupts the normalcy of life and deeply impacts people. Crisis can be cataclysmic affecting millions like COVID or Hurricane Ida or It can be cataclysmic, affecting one or a few, like a cancer diagnosis, or job loss, or abuse, or death of a loved one, a broken relationship. Crisis brings with it pain, and hurt, and fear, anger, loss, hope, loss of hope, despair. But it also brings with it an open door for the gospel. As we experience pain, We are confronted by difficult, sometimes seemingly unanswerable questions like, Why? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why God? Is there a God? But amidst the uncertainties of life, there is the redemptive power of Christ and the hope that comes from knowing Him. And this is why we believe that there is a mission field in the wake of every crisis. From the beginnings of our ministry following Hurricane Katrina, we've been able to serve alongside dozens and dozens of local churches here in the U.S. following tornadoes and floods and uh, droughts and hurricanes, um, fires. We've had the privilege of mobilizing more than 35,000 volunteers to come and serve in those contexts in the last 16 years. Presently, we still have staff serving uh, in response to Hurricane Florence in North Carolina, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, following two hurricanes, uh, uh, Laura and Delta, uh, in Paradise, California, helping with ongoing um, uh, response from the wildfire there. And for the past week, uh, we have been consumed with Hurricane Ida. Uh, first, in preparations for our family and for our ministry, um, and then we evacuated our home to our ministry center in Covington, Louisiana. We sheltered there for uh, for the for the time through the storm, and then we stayed there because of uh, circumstances at our home: no power, uh, trees down in the in the yard, and and such. And uh, we then jumped into uh, response efforts to the hurricane. Just to give you a, a quick picture of what uh, it looks like in our area, and, and I wanted to share this vignette of, um, of one family that's been impacted by Hurricane Ida. <laughs> Tell us about uh, the last few days.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's been a little overwhelming. Just uh, it was a
0: horrible night and never lived through wind. I wasn't here for Katrina, so I've never been through that. So. Um, today was a good day when you showed up and some friends showed up and did more than we could do in a month in one oh, yeah. afternoon. It was outstanding. We were sitting in this room right here, and uh, a huge tree, you can't see it, but you can see the end of it over here, came through and just smashed our carport. Just a little bit went inside the house where it busted the bricks. But I'm telling you, it was uh, it was pretty dramatic. It was uh, loud. Uh, you can imagine we had already had several trees fall, so it was pretty, it'd wake you up. We slept in the center of the house the rest of the night. Uh, just to uh, make sure we walked outside and the next morning when we could see and the wind had stopped. And it was like a war zone. It, it reminds me so much of Katrina. Uh, it's uh, it's a blessing with you guys coming over. And I appreciate you calling and, and checking on us. And, and uh, like Susie said, you couldn't have done any of this. So I appreciate you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Mark.
1: Internationally, uh, we're presently focused on um, working with the Afghan refugee response, ongoing outreach among Syrian refugees, Uh, but now also with the economic crisis, it's probably not made the news here, but Lebanon is suffering uh, significantly uh, hyperinflation over the past few months has resulted in the currency losing 95 percent of its So That means families that were living on about a thousand dollars a month three months ago, or four months ago, they're now living on the equivalent of fifty dollars a month. Um, if they even have a job, uh, that's a blessing. Conditions there are very dire. I was there a couple of months ago uh, and now it's a totally different place. The devaluation of the currency has resulted in uh, little or no access to medicine. There's no fuel for uh, electricity. Um, aspirin is being sold, if you can even get it, it's being sold by the pill uh, at exorbitant prices. There's, uh, the, the shelves in the, in the food stores are empty. Uh, one, of our, one of my partner in, in, our, um, in our Reach Global Ministry team was just there this past week, Uh, We're starting to take suitcases in of medicines and other critical supplies uh, for our partners there to sustain not just their work with the Syrian refugees, but to sustain the church as they seek to reach out uh, and care for the people that the Lord has brought into their lives. We're also involved in the recent earthquake in Haiti. Um, as well as long term uh, leader development and, um, and re- uh, de- leadership development and response work there. Uh, it's including a partnership that we have, a long standing partnership with STEP Seminary. Uh, I was there two weeks ago helping to facilitate a faculty retreat. Uh, and Friedens recently made a generous donation towards student scholarships at the seminary. And the seminary president sent along this. A note of thanks to share with you.
2: Good morning, Freelance Church. Uh, It's a great opportunity for me to just say thank you to you for your prayers for Haiti right now and for your interest in the ministry that the Lord has given to us and the gift you've given for our scholarship. For students who need to get trained for ministry in Haiti. Thank you.
1: That's part of that 12% of your budget that you've contributed. You're impacting future leaders in in the country of Haiti uh, with that investment. Let's take a moment and pray this morning as we look at our text, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You can turn there now. Uh, Lord, as we look into your word, uh, Father, I pray that you would enlighten us, that you would inform us, that you would challenge us, that you would grow us. We thank you for truth that is represented in your word, uh, and Lord, we desire to be obedient to that truth. We ask this in your name, Father. Amen. Do you ever find yourself being forgetful? I sure am. Where did I put my fill in the blank? Most common ones that I'm losing are my glasses, my keys, my phone. As I walk in the door, my wife gives me that look. Oh shoot, I was supposed to stop at the store for something, what was that? I guess I turn around and back out the door I go. What's on our family schedule this weekend? I, I'm forgetful. My wife Denise is here today. She could probably give a loud amen to that. Yes. yes. In order to help me function, my wife has put out a basket for my keys. So when I come in the door, I can, I can put my keys in the same place. Um, I've got a plug uh, where I'm supposed to put my phone and plug my phone in. So it's in that same place every night. Uh, we're still working on a system for my glasses. When our kids used to be in the house, there was the frequent, uh, hey, uh, kids, a dollar for whoever can find my glasses as I'm trying to leave the house. Uh, these grace-filled practices that my family has, has developed uh, help me uh, to keep from forgetting. Uh, or if I do forget, they help me get back on the right path. They're reminders to not forget. And that's what chapter 3 is for us. Reminders of some basic instructions. Reminders of our past and God's intervention. And finally, a reminder of the outflow of his work in us. Doing what is good in order to reflect God's glory and his presence in us. The passage starts with, remind the people, and follows with a list of commands. To be reminded means that we already know these things, but may be in danger of periodically forgetting them or, or losing track of them. But this reminder is more than a sticky note, more than a, hey, uh, just don't forget. It's to be an active, ongoing activity of remembering. So these truths are constantly in front of us. It's the daily alarm because these are really important basic instructions for treating people well. Paul gives us six of them. The first is to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be subject, that means a willingness, a servant to the king willing submission by our nature it's is it hard or easy for us to willingly submit in the first place certainly our me focused culture of individualism goes against submitting to anyone we want things our way in fact the commercials tell us have it your way we have our individual rights but then, how about submission to our rulers and authorities? This means a willing submission to governmental rulers that God puts over us. For Paul, that was the Romans. They had him in prison. It's also, it also means submission to our earthly and godly powers that God has placed over us. Pastors, elders teachers, employers, and so on. Authority must not be disobeyed dis- by Christians, except in those instances where we would end up being disobeying God. But even in these instances, we're still to submit meekly to the resulting consequences. Though we may think otherwise, submitting to rulers in our context really is relatively easy. In other parts of the world, the reality of government corruption and persecution is pervasive, adding real challenge to this command. Places like Haiti and Nepal. My friend Betswana is a missionary from India living in Kathmandu, Nepal. Following an earthquake there a number of years ago, we met uh, and the, uh, the government passed uh, a law uh, to to create a Hindu state, and that law made it illegal uh, to change religion or to evangelize. In fact, several of uh, Betsuana's associates spent many months in prison a few years ago for helping kids at a school affected by the earthquake. And in the process of helping the kids, they mentioned the name Jesus. They were. Uh, the word got out to the local authorities and they were quickly grabbed and taken and imprisoned for months in the context of helping in the name of Jesus, simply saying the name. Another friend, Charles, it's not his real name, but he lives in the country of Myanmar with one of the most corrupt police forces in the world. They participate in kidnapping, bribery, and other actions through which they earn a a good income. Protecting civilians is not considered as their responsibility or duty. Yet he is living out obedience and submission, practicing submission to those authorities as best he can. What's our attitude and behavior with respect to willful submission to earthly rulers. What does it look like to do the same towards spiritual authority, to submit? The passage goes on. It says, remind the people to be obedient. We're again reminded to be compliant to direction and to willingly submit to authority. This is actually a broader vision than the prior command. Being obedient is an outflow of the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples, teaching them what? To obey all the things that I have commanded. In Joshua 1, it's the definition of success. Be careful to obey all that my servant Moses gave you that you may be successful wherever you go. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Obedience is not behavior modification. That's changing our outward actions, but not really changing our heart or our attitude, renewing our mind. We can affect behavior change through rewards and punishments. We've done this in parenting. You you know, you can have a cookie if. But obedience goes more after something deeper. It goes after beliefs, the values, the reasons behind our actions. Obedience results in us doing the right thing, especially when no one is looking. It's It's a response that flows out of our essence, from a commitment to live a life holy before a divine God, a God that calls us to love him and to love others. Next, we're instructed to be ready to do whatever is good. I like the word good. Uh, Thesaurus.com gave me 52 synonyms for good. Good. Not boss, bully, excellent, first-rate, favorable, gnarly, rad, stupendous, or super-eminent. Do what is good. Culturally, we tend to think of good as okay, above average, but something less than maybe better or best. In reading the text this time, though, my mind went to another use of the word good in Scripture. In fact, it's the same description that God used to describe his own work in Genesis 1. It was good. I can't think of a better description, therefore, of what we as sons and daughters of the king, sons and daughters of the creator, the, create, the, the, the essence of what God created. And he said it was good. What a great picture for us of what we are to do. We are to do what is good. Another translation says that we're to be ready for every good work. Being ready implies preparedness. It's a significant part of a crisis response ministry, preparedness. In fact, our ministry invests a lot of time in this idea of preparedness. But it also, our ministry also involves coming alongside many churches and families who ignored warnings and were caught unprepared, not ready. It, it, it leads me to some questions. First, do we have capacity to do good? Certainly, if we have Christ indwelling in us, we have unlimited spiritual capacity for that. But but practically, do we have physical capacity to do good? Meaning, do we have scheduled time set aside and resources set aside to be able to do whatever is good? Next, we need the motivation. The desire to be ready to act. And also, we need to know what, the, what good is. What are these good works? What's our target? For our ministry, we are re- regularly reminding ourselves and those serving with us that the tar- about that target, we say it's about people, not the project. It's about intentional relational investment, not the event or the activity. Doing good is further an expression of obedience and submission, and it's an active expression of the Christian life. It is Christ's presence in us, portrayed in tangible ways, both in and through our individual lives as believers, and collectively through our participation in community, in the church. Doing whatever is good becomes the observable manifestation of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Individually, but corporately as well. Verse 1 seems to have more to do with uh, with our reflecting and submitting to Christ's lordship in our lives. Submission, obedience, service. The next three on our list have to do more with our relations and responsibilities to others. We're instructed in verse 2 to slander no one, be peaceable and considerate to show true humility. Slander or speaking evil of another one, as in some versions says, is maligning or intentionally passing on less than truthful information about another person and hurting them or their reputation. Being peaceable, avoiding quarreling, that's a conscious effort to save relationships in difficult situations, often sacrificially by resisting reactionary, provoking, or even violent courses of response. Being considerate or gentle is an attitude that quiets personal concerns to make room for the concerns of others. And humility of a perfect courtesy is that balanced perception of oneself that makes it possible to regard others as more important than ourselves. The IV Press commentary says the quality; these qualities describe Christ likeness. Paul's language portrays Christian living in relation to all people as reasoned or patient, self-control resistant and tolerant. We are in every aspect of life to put the concerns of others ahead of one's own. We are to act this way not out of simple good manners, though they may be uh, helpful, but more important from knowing who we are and who others are in the heart of Jesus. These are relational forms of doing what is good. From the reminder of these six verses, six basic instructions in verses 1 and 2, Paul then wants us to remember God's intervention in our lives. Verses 3 through 7 provide a great overview of the process of gospel transformation, active in the life of a Christ follower. Each of us have our own story of gospel transformation, and that story starts with our past. The reality is, is that each one of us, at one time, as the verse says, lived apart from Christ. The verse continues to describe the characteristics of a life lived apart from Christ. We have not been perfected in Christ. So at times, our flesh, in our flesh, we may unfortunately still exhibit these characteristics. But the key is that we are not enslaved to them anymore. That's who we were. It's what we've been saved from. Because our story also has a but when. In verse 4, a moment of intervention when God, out of kindness and love, reached out to us long before we reached out to him. We see from verse 5 and 6 that the but when actually had nothing to do with our efforts. Instead, we're saved exclusively by the expression of his mercy and the cleansing work of his Holy Spirit. It's what God did for us, the transformation moment in our story. And he did this according to verse 7, so that we might be saved to the hope of eternal life and who we are now, a new creation in Christ, heirs and recipients of his grace, that this is the present In our story, redeemed, and in the process of being changed to be more like him. That's us now. God wants us to remember his intervention so that we also remember his desired result for us. Joyfully, our story also has a future so that. Clarity of what he has saved us for. So that we may be careful, practiced, diligent to devote ourselves, to give ourselves fully to doing what is good. But again, we saw in verse 2 the doing what is good is for sure practical acts of compassion and benevolence, but it's also the visible outworking of Christ in us humility. Justice, mercy, grace, the fruits of the Spirit evidenced in our character and in our attitudes. In my missionary role, God has given me the incredible blessing of friendships and ministry partnerships with some amazing people who illustrate the principle of this passage and, frankly, inspire me and challenge me deeply. I'd like to introduce you to one of these godly men who has endured much and embodied the characteristics of Paul as outlined in verses 1 and 2. And he seeks to live out the doing uh, what is good that's, that's highlighted in verse 8. And sharing some of his story, my hope is that you too might be encouraged to do what is good, excellent, and profitable for everyone. You met my friend at the beginning of the service, his name is Wadestrant Jean-Baptiste in the earlier video. He's the president of Step Seminary, and his story starts with his dad's story. Please listen, to as, as we watch the video, please listen for who he was, what God did, who he is now, and the good works that the Lord has accomplished as a result.
2: He appears like somebody that has power and who has this as a means to make money. For some reason, after my mother died, my father became a voodoo priest as well. (laughs) They said that the spirits claimed him, saying that they had selected him to be the next voodoo priest in the family. This this place where we stand here was a two-room house also. The place where you stand, Jamie, was one room and this, this was one. And you see, the one that was for the spirit was cemented. My father could enter in this room only once a week on Thursday. There was a bed well uh, made in that room, just in there like that. He, he, he was married to a spirit. And on Thursday, he had to sleep with this room. He could not sleep with the woman anywhere. He had to be here on Thursday to sleep with the spirit. The spirits are real in the life of the Voodoo priest. They are ruling, making decisions that he has to submit to. So it didn't take long for my father to figure that we were going to church. One time he said, it's because you have shoes to wear and clothes to wear. And he took our shoes and cut them into small pieces. And said, you, you're not going to church anymore we went to church anyway he grabbed our clothes and tried to burn them I grabbed them they were not many I just grabbed them and then went with them and then he decided that we should be out he kicked me out first and 15 days after me my brother was out between those 15 days during those 15 days he he hid beside a wood and then jumped on me with a stick beat me over the head. My head was bleeding, swelling. And people in the area, it was on the main road over there. People had to hold my father so that I could go and go to the hospital. We used to share the gospel with him to the point where we didn't share anymore. We just lived for him to see. And we were praying. A lot of people were praying. You were praying. And uh, in January 2009, God did it. My father, first Sunday of, of January 2009, my father called me and said that your dad has come to Christ this morning. And it was the best day of my life. He, one year after he came to Christ it was January 2010. He told me his own words. I would love to see a church being planted right here the very place where I used to practice so that the gospel can be preached from there. and the nicest thing is like on a Sunday morning you see my dad in the crowd worshiping his wife also but if I am preaching I would be looking at him wherever I said I would be watching him because this is my joy
1: Is an amazing leader. He's just about to complete his doctorate. He could easily be on staff at any seminary, even any university in the U.S. Daily life could be materially, physically easy for him. Instead, he knows he's called to Haiti. I regularly stay at his home, and he is frequently tired in the morning. Because he has to stay up late uh, waiting to see if the electric will switch on for maybe one to two hours. Uh, and he has to stay awake so he can switch the breaker over so they can have power uh, and charge batteries for the uh, for the for the day to you know the, the next day to come. They're fortunate though, because in other parts of the city that actually doesn't happen. That one to two hours is one to two hours a week, not one to two hours a day. When I was recently with him walking near his home, uh, we were walking from, um, from his home over to a, a place where the seminary is meeting presently. Uh, we're walking by a spot and he points at the spot and he says, Oh, this is where the last person in our neighborhood was kidnapped. The reality of the challenges that he and his family face, it just, it just is stunning to me. He's part of the Haiti Movement Leader Network. It's a group of 12 denominational uh, leaders and seminary presidents that I have the privilege of spending a week with twice a year. He, uh, th- this group of leaders gets together to think deeply about the gospel transforming the country of Haiti. And even though he's operating at this level with, with influential uh, evangelical leaders across the country, um, prior to the gang violence becoming so prevalent in in the country and in the neighborhood where where they live, um, he was frequently found outside in a community called Grand Ravine. It's about fifty thousand people live in this this big valley, all packed in. It's probably one of the poorest places in the entire country, which makes it one of the poorest places, in the materially poorest places, in the entire world. But he, but he's out there talking with uh, armed gang leaders and drug lords who control the area, making arrangements for his seminary students to go out and serve in this community in practical ways. In this neighborhood, they've planted several churches. And and gospel ministry, the transforming gospel ministry, uh, is evident in that place. At one time, he was far from God, the son of a voodoo priest. But when God intervened in his life, he was transformed. Wawa was transformed. And he has continued to be a messenger of gospel transformation for others. The result of his prayer, his faithfulness, and pursuing his father with gospel, uh, message of gospel and hope and love, transformed his life. has resulted in a church being planted on the foundation of a voodoo temple that has now transformed that community. And though he's in a very challenging context, he is committed to doing good living out the seminary's mission of equipping, maturing Haitian leaders to make disciples who transform their communities for the glory of God. As we go today, I hope we would be mindful of these basic instructions from Titus. I hope that we would remember our story of transformation. Maybe even today over lunch, you could take an opportunity and not just remember it, but share your transformation story. What, what was it like before and then Christ intervened? And then, so now, what, how does your story go? Reflect on God's mercy as we share our story and be careful to devote ourselves to doing whatever is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your empowerment. We thank you for truths that come from your word. Father, I simply pray that you would help us to be uh, changed, to be impacted as we remember so that we might do good. We might bring gospel hope and truth and and life into those around us today and tomorrow and in the week to come. Lord, we thank you for your presence uh, in the mission field that follows crisis. We thank you for our partnership with this church. We thank you for the extension of this church's ministry in places like Haiti and around the world. And We thank you for a chance to serve a God who cares and a God who redeems. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.